Our scripture for today is Matthew 5, verses 1 through 11. When Jesus saw the crowds, he went up the mountain, and after he sat down, his disciples came to him. Then he began to speak and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Here ends the reading of Matthew 5, verses 1 through 11. We welcome you today to Weston Park Baptist Church. Um, This first Sunday, really, in terms of the new fall year here at Weston Park. Um, Kids have been back in school. Lots of changes going on. And here we have also a new uh, series that we're beginning. So we trust that you are well. And... um, Please be in prayer for us all as we try to figure out things through this fall season and and know what's the best way to go. So some sort of combination of the virtual services and, for now, services in the parking lot outdoor on Sundays. So we're looking at what I'm calling the upside-down world of Jesus, the upside-down world of Jesus. What is Jesus' perspective? What is his worldview? Uh, What is he about? So we can consider Christ and his words to us and stay true to what is the essence of what Jesus is saying. So the best place, I think, to look to that is the Sermon on the Mount, which is Christ's longest teaching section in the Gospels. We see it in Matthew 5 through 7, so chapters 5, 6, 7. And in this declaration, in this long sermon, um, we get a distillation of what Christ is about and how he sees the kingdom of God. And particularly in this series, we're going to be looking at the Beatitudes, which is the frontispiece uh, for the entire sermon. So if you really want to get a sense of what Jesus is about, if you are a listener, you're a viewer here, and regardless of where you're at, faith-wise, if you want to get a sense of what Christ is about, Jesus of Nazareth, then the Beatitudes is really the best place because he, he lays it all out, really, in this series of Beatitudes, and then he develops it uh, in the sermon that follows and in other teaching sections that he has in the Gospels. But the Sermon on the Mount is the number one longest, perhaps the most powerful in some ways, And certainly the Beatitudes are there for us to really 
drill down and see what Christ is about. So I'd encourage you to be listening here. If you want to know what Jesus is like, then listen to his Beatitudes because that's what the values of God's kingdom are all about. So with that in mind, then we we turn to the Beatitudes found in Matthew uh, chapter 5. And the setting we see in verses 1 and 2 of chapter 5. Matthew writes, when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up the mountain, and after he sat down, his disciples came to him. Then he began to speak and taught them, saying. So we're reminded that in, in these early days, Jesus is, is very popular. A lot of people are coming to see him and hear what he's about. And the gospel writers pick that up in the word, the crowd. So whenever we see that word, the crowds, it really is speaking about a number of people. And so here, Jesus sees the crowds coming, and he's outside, he's in Capernaum, and he travels with his disciples just out of town. He goes up a hillside, and he goes up, and he sits down, and he teaches. And Matthew lays it out. You'll notice what it says. He goes up the mountain, He sits down, his disciples come, he opens his mouth, and he begins to speak. So it's all laid out there. And what it's really saying is that Jesus is taking on the position here of teacher. And in the East, uh, let's say in the synagogues, for example, the, the teacher, whoever was the teacher for that day in the synagogue, would go to a certain chair, a specific chair at the front of the synagogue, would sit down, and then would teach. And so that is what Jesus is doing here. He's going up the mountain, has a good view, the crowds are below him. It's outside of Capernaum, you can go there today and it looks right out over uh, the Lake of Galilee. It's a very pretty spot. The crowds are gathered. Jesus is looking down and he takes the role of teacher. So he's in the east, the orient, This is how a teacher would teach. It's interesting, I had a chance one time to go to India, and I was teaching at the seminary in Kakinada, which is sort of in the southeast coast of India. And at the chapel service, I was asked to to speak. And it was interesting, they had a small platform uh, with a carpet, and all the students were down on the ground floor, and they each had a carpet, small mat. They sat on their mat, and then I was sitting on a mat on the platform, so cross-legged, speaking to the students. So it's just, that's what they do. In the East, that's how they would teach. A teacher would teach from that perspective. You wouldn't be sitting in a chair like I am now or at a pulpit, on the ground, cross-legged, speaking. And so Jesus is doing that here, and, and the people recognize in that position that he's now going to say something uh, that, that is significant, and that they are now going to pay attention to what Christ is saying. And the, the audience we note that is being spoken to is a mixture of disciples and the crowd. And so it, it's this mixture of people who are already interested in Jesus, really committed to him, or sort of committed to him, or people who are just, they've heard about him, and we now want to come and hear what he's about. So it's, it's a mixed audience. And indeed, it, it, it's meant to speak 
for every man, every woman. We think of the, uh, the medieval uh, morality pr uh, play called Every Man, Every Woman. It was every man. And, it, and it's, it's meant to speak to each person, everybody that is part of humanity, this massive group is every man, every woman. And this is the audience that is before Jesus. And now Jesus is speaking to this group. And so that, that's the, the setting, that's the frontispiece that we're looking at. And now we look at the first beatitude, which is our direction for today. And it's a, it's a simple one. They're all short. Here we go. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. This, this is the first beatitude. And in many ways, it's the beatitude that covers all that come. If we want to understand what Jesus is about, then this is a foundational statement. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. We can think of our contemporary world and, and what our world thinks of in terms of what is greatness, what's a great political leader, what's a great religious leader, whatever that might be. How does that compare with what Jesus is saying here? Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Does our culture today, would, would, would we say that? Are, are those the ones that we think are blessed? Or would we say, blessed are the, the wealthy, blessed are the ones who have power, blessed are the ones who are in first place? What, what, who do we acclaim? And how does that compare with what Jesus is saying here? Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So interesting, each of these beatitudes that follow, and there are eight that we're going to be looking at, fall into three bits. There's an opening phrase, blessed, and then there's a target audience, who the blessed ones are, and then there's thirdly, a reward. So all eight beatitudes follow this direction. And so the first then is the introductory phrase, blessed. It's the Greek word makarios. So blessed, makarios, can be translated how fortunate are. Or some might write how lucky are. Or congratulations, makarios. It, it has that kind of positive a statement that you are being esteemed, that you are uh, seen as a fortunate group in the eyes of the one who is speaking. So blessed. So Jesus is saying, blessed are you, the poor in spirit, for yours is the kingdom of heaven, yours is the kingdom of God. God is saying from his perspective, blessed, how fortunate, how lucky are you. So that's where, that's where we start. So for example, Psalm 1.1 also has a beatitude. It reads, happy are those who do not follow the advice of the wicked, or take the path that sinners tread, or sit in the seat of scoffers. Happy are those. Blessed are those. Same idea, Psalm 1-1 here. So Jesus, you know, this idea of beatitudes we see throughout the Old Testament in its own way. So when Jesus is saying, blessed are you, blessed are the poor in spirit, he's not saying that you necessarily always feel that you are blessed. It's not talking about a subjective feeling, it's talking about an objective truth. That Jesus, in the kingdom of God, God sees blessed are the poor in spirit. 
Those people are blessed from God's perspective. Blessed are the poor, Luke says. Luke even hits it harder. Blessed are the poor, for theirs is the kingdom of God. So, you know, we wouldn't normally say blessed are the poor. We would think something different from that. But this first beatitude affirms that this group is blessed. So, if we know God, we are blessed. If we know Christ, we are blessed. If we are following him, we are followers of Jesus, we are blessed according to what he's saying. That's the first part of these three parts of the Beatitudes. Secondly, who's the target group? Well, the target group here is the poor in spirit. Poor is the word petoches, which literally means to crouch, to bend over, to beg. The poor, Luke says. Jesus shapes it by poor in spirit. So when Luke says blessed are the poor and when Matthew writes poor in spirit, he's not talking about those who are uh, destitute. He's not talking about abject poverty. The poor in spirit speaks about every man, every woman as the morality play. Jesus was poor. Jesus was poor in spirit. But we also know about Jesus. Jesus was a a working person. He had a job. He was a carpenter. He worked with wood. He worked with stone. He lived in his house with his mom. He had friends who had their own homes. They were laborers. Each day they worked with their hands. Blessed are the poor. So when we hear that statement from Luke and with Matthew, we don't have to think about abject poverty around the planet. That's not what Jesus is saying right here, although it it does speak to our economics. Those who are poor may well be part of this poor in spirit, but we don't have to jump there. We may be listening to this, and and we are living as day-to-day people in our society. And in our society, we are part of that group. Some more, some less. But we're not wealthy. So blessed are the poor in spirit. So it doesn't mean destitute poverty. So I think we need to hear that. It's talking about, as the English say, you know, your basic mate. You know what I mean? Your, your companion. And Jesus is saying, okay, that group, that group, I want you to hear that God sees you as blessed. But secondly, for Matthew, this is the emphasis, the poor in spirit. We've talked about in this recent series on the Psalms that the, the word is, in the Old Testament, anawim. And the anawim was the, the one who was humble before God who recognized their dependence on God, poor in spirit. The opposite would be proud, proud in myself, full of ego, domination over others. The Pharisees were wanting to have power and position, take the first place at the banquets. Well, Jesus is saying, no, that's not what we're after, poor in spirit. So the poor in spirit, I would suggest, speaks to those who 
have a realistic view of themselves, who are honest about themselves and recognize that they, hey, I am just little old me. I am creature and I sit before creator, God. I'm dependent on him. I am part of fragile humanity. Dependence. So blessed are the poor in spirit. Mary talks about this in Luke, her Magnificat. He has brought down the powerful from their thrones and lifted up the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. So there's a contrast between the wealthy who see themselves as powerful in their own right as in comparison with Mary who, who sees her own fragility and dependence on God. So the poor in spirit, recognizing their need and their dependence on God. Different than how our world normally values how we are in our competitive society. What, what strata do we fit into? So the beatitude goes blessed, number one. Two, who? The poor in spirit. We have to hear that and ask ourselves, is that, where am I at on that graph of proud or wanting to be over others, pride? And then thirdly, there's the reward. The reward is yours is the kingdom of heaven, Matthew writes. And Luke, it's yours is the kingdom of God. It, Matthew uses heaven, Luke is God, it's the same. And it speaks about a blessing, because it is makarios, remember. Blessed are you, the poor in spirit, for yours is the kingdom of heaven. It's in the present tense. Yours is the kingdom of heaven. It's not just yours will be the kingdom of heaven in the future. We believe that. That's part of our hope in Christ. But Matthew is going, and Jesus is going, now, blessed, now, yours is the kingdom of heaven. So there's a sense in which this blessing is both future and present. So even now in our, in our reality, in our struggles, in our challenges, whatever they might be, from God's perspective, he sees us blessed, even blessed now. So there is an, a dimension on which these beatitudes are already ours. This is our experience now. That as we recognize our dependence and our in our position before God, that there is blessing in that. And we can rest and, and know that reality. Jesus says, Matthew eleven twenty eight, 28, you know, blessed are you, gentle. I am gentle and humble before you. And you can, you can take my peace upon you, my yoke upon you. You can know that even now. It's future and it's present. So the Beatitudes then fall into these three groups. So there's the statement of blessing. There is, secondly, who is the target group? Each of the Beatitudes, it's differently. It's different. And then thirdly, what is the reward? So hearing that, then what do we want to say about this statement? Jesus is saying, this is a great value in the kingdom of God. So I would say, in terms of going forward, one, the poor in spirit fundamentally refers to an attitude or a state of mind. It's our mindset. Last week we were talking about the battle of our mind. 
battle for our mind, Psalm 37. Well, in this battle for our mind, poverty of spirit, poor in spirit, refers to this humble attitude before God. That's our position. that's, That's what is real. That's what's realistic. Me knowing that I am not God and that I live before this amazing, creative, eternally young God. I am before him. And so it encourages us to live in dependence and also to take up an attitude of meekness. That's going to be another one of the Beatitudes, but they, they kind of converge it here. We are fragile humans who are dependent on God at every point. And Jesus is saying, when we recognize that, we are blessed. When we think that we have it all together in our control of every situation, whatever it goes, I'm the manager of this reality, Jesus is saying that will get you in trouble because that's not real. That's a fake position to take up. To recognize our dependence. This, this past week, just a personal story, I, I had some pain in my chest, kind of got nervous about it and decided, you know, I should get this checked out. So I went to the emergency down at St. Joe's and, you know, you've all been in these situations and you, you have to wait your turn, take a number, they call your number, and while you're waiting, you see other people go up and, and they are talking about their experience. Well, everybody in the emergency room is, is recognizing some sort of need. In fact, if you're sitting there listening, you're hearing all kinds of details about people that you are really wanting, you know, I don't even want to know these things. How about body parts and what's working, what's not working? You hear it all as you're waiting. And then as you go and speak, they're hearing about your issues. And one of the things that did strike me is that, you know, we are all fragile people here. Anybody who goes to the emergency has some issue going on. Otherwise, they're not there. So we recognize, at least I was recognizing, again, my own frailness. Your physical body is a fragile piece of equipment, just the way it is. We need to recognize that and to recognize that our days really are in the hands of the Lord and we need to trust in him. So poverty of spirit talks about a mindset or attitude to how we live life, number one. Toretto puts it this way, I am nothing but God is my all. I am nothing But God is my all. God is the universe maker. He's the one who's put the Milky Way together. He is all and we are nothing. It's it's good to have such a position, Jesus is saying. Secondly, this poverty of spirit, I think, speaks to, again, this issue of the old self, the false self. Because when we hold on to the false self and and want to be seen by people in certain ways and not letting our true self show, then then we are putting up a facade. And the facade is not the way of the the way of humility and meekness. It's not genuine because it's fake. And and we are all tempted to put up that false self. Again, it's not being realistic. 
And so when Jesus at various points and other places in his teaching takes a young child in their midst and says to the group, hey, we need to become like this little child. And that means we need to become vulnerable and honest and real before God. So it's a childlike spirit. And not only that, it's an obedient spirit. It's an obedient faith. The true self means that we don't have to pander ourselves at every point and every whim. It's, it's recognizing that our lives are dependent on God. And, and, and that's where we're called. I'm not trying to meet every possible desire we could ever face. So it's, it's a way of the true self, Jesus is saying. And thirdly, I would say poverty of spirit is actually a beatitude of joy. Makarios, remember, is good fortune. To know poverty of spirit is actually to experience a dimension of joy. The, the, The fruit of the spirit go what? Love, joy, peace, patience. The second fruit of the spirit that's that's named is joy. And so when Jesus says the Beatitudes and declares these, he he is saying that this is a way of joy, even though the first one is poverty of spirit. There will be more joy as you recognize your own fragility and frailty and trust and dependence on God, rather than trying to keep all the balls in the air by yourself. Joy. And we recognize, of course, that the church is not always the place of joy. One level, the church can also be seen as an institution. The church might be a sad place at times. But even though we recognize that the church might be a sad place, the kingdom of God is never a sad place. Because the kingdom is about God. God who is eternally young, eternally youthful, who is a happy God. God is full of joy, the fruit of the Spirit. Joy. So we might make something sad, but in its essence, it's a reality of joy. The kingdom of God is a kingdom of joy where all things ultimately will be made right. It is the abundant life that Jesus gives. So Jesus says, for example, in another place, your hearts will rejoice and no one will take your joy from you. No one will take your joy from you, Jesus says to his disciples. And another author writes, joy from sheer undreamed of grace. I like that. Undreamed of grace is God's gift to us. So the Beatitudes then lay out what these core values of Christ are all about. And so again, the first one, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are the poor in spirit. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. I mean, that's a shocking declaration. It presents an upside-down view of the world. But that's what Christ's teaching begins with. So depending on where you're at, you know, you, you may have heard all kinds of things about Christianity, and you've heard all kinds of things by pastors on TV and evangelists making all kinds of grandiose statements. We see Christians that we're not all that happy with. Maybe we think are hypocritical. 
But we want to really know what Jesus is about, what Jesus is about, not just what we're about. Then we hear this statement, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God. And so that's where we begin. So I ask you then, how does that statement fit with how you see Jesus? Is that a surprising statement? Is it something you've heard a million times and it's hard to even let it penetrate your heart and soul? What does that say? What does it say of Jesus? May we hear, may we receive, may these beatitudes resonate deep in our hearts so that we might be quickened to say yes to God, yes to Christ, yes to his Holy Spirit in our lives. And I offer these words in Jesus' name. Amen.